This is Restless Summer. Welcome back to the Restless Summer interview series where we are still talking the young Restless and Reform this summer. Pastor Michael, how are you doing? Doing great. Restless Summer is just something that really shouldn't ever end, right? Restless right. Summer, uh, let it continue forever. Flip-flops and cargo shorts and I don't know what else. I don't even know if cargo shorts is right for Restless Summer. Maybe you know, maybe no cargo shorts. Whatever your Restless Summer, uh, however you like to dress for Restless Summer, that's great. Yeah. And we are happy to bring on, I guess, our best and first female guest, Ashley. Welcome to the New Calvinist's official, unofficial podcast of record, Restless. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. You know, I was thinking as you were talking, um, I live in Southern California, and we don't really know what summer means because we have the same weather <laughs> all year round. So, yeah, we're wearing our Birkenstocks in like December. Oh like, man, living the dream. Yeah, always, always restless summer. Yes, in, Cal- in Southern yes. California. Yeah. Well, that is excellent, and we are happy to have you here, in spite of you being from California, and in spite <laughs> of you getting the summer all year round. Ashley, we just want as many different kinds of views on the new Calvinism. We've talked from PhDs to to pastors to we have we even have an OPC friend we talked to on occasion but today we are happy to talk to you about new calvinism and so maybe the best way to start is just with your christian background um, or how you became a christian depending on which is um, yeah most relevant yeah so well i just want to throw out there i actually am OPC as well so oh, yeah, we have two OPC, two OPC yeah. friends. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just want to throw that out there, but I didn't start out that way. Um, so yeah, my background is growing up mostly in Southern California. Um, I went to a broadly, um, evangelical church, evangelical school. Um, sometimes, you know, it wasn't, you know, something, that was super important to us. I would say we were more like culturally Christian or nominally, whatever um, you want to call that. Um, And at a certain point when I was in high school, I think I stopped attending altogether because it was kind of boring to me. I, I didn't, I didn't find it helpful. Um, I was busy and the, the church we were at was very, I guess, moralistic. And it was kind of like, you know, the things you're dealing with when you're a teenager and trying to figure out and you're like, you know, this isn't really helping me. This isn't, you know, achieving what it's supposed to achieve. And so I stopped attending probably around 16 and went off to college. Um, I was a college athlete and then I got hurt, which kind of ended my running career, which was really difficult to kind of grapple with because my life was going one direction and then it wasn't. So I kind of was just like stumbling around looking for really trying to figure out how to deal with life, I guess, and Mm kind of was in a not so good place when I got a job working at Starbucks 
And I know Starbucks has a certain reputation, but fortunately the one I got hired at um, was just staffed with Christians. Wow. It was kind of amazing. Um, yeah, great. And actually, I know. And actually my, my husband, um, well, he wasn't my husband then, uh, he worked there. And so I have this memory of kind of watching, there was these three guys in particular Um, one of them is my now husband kind of watching them and realizing something was very different. Uh, they didn't gossip. Um, that really stood out to me because if you guys have ever worked in food services, it's like a, it could be a pretty gossipy place. They didn't gossip. They were really kind. Uh, they worked really hard and I just knew, you know, something's different about these guys and kind of like slowly, but surely they would, you know, share the gospel with me you know, throughout probably like a year span. And um, I became a Christian and they brought me to their church, which was uh, Evangelical Free Church. And it was, I guess the best way to describe it would be kind of like MacArthur, like four point Calvinist. Yeah, I guess, yeah, that's the best way to describe it. So they brought me there and um, yeah, I mean, I was, I was like a sponge. I was just like so blown away because I had grown up going to church, even going to a Christian school and the gospel truths. It was like the first time I, you know, I'd ever heard them and maybe I had heard them, but I was just amazed, you know, and just learning like a ton. So I think that's, that's the short version of that story. Awesome. I love the covert Christian takeover of Starbucks. (laughs) That's fantastic. I hope that's uh, still going. If you need a job, feel free to apply at Starbucks, everybody. Uh, Do a little covert takeover. That'd be great. Yeah, it really was amazing. They, they had such a, a great, just like witness in just loving the Lord and yeah, just the way they treated people really stood out to me. So awesome. Uh, covert takeover of Starbucks EFCA shout out to the EFCA. I grew up in the EFCA and, uh, still very dear to my heart, still very connected in some ways to the ministry of the free church. What is it that you would say then, you know, kind of brought you into the new Calvinism or, or how did you, did you become a, when did you become aware of that? Uh, what was your kind of move from simply, you know, coming into the faith to mm. coming into this particular movement? Yeah, I think that's a little, like a little unclear to me. Um, so it was 2011 when I became a Christian and I think the church, the, the EFCA church that I was attending was very much at least the college group was very much into young, restless and reform, especially a lot of the authors like John Piper. I remember him being like a big deal. I didn't actually hear the term young, less restless and reform until we were going to an OPC. And I heard someone, you know, mention it like, Oh, young, restless and reform. Like, Oh, what's that? And then I looked back and go, Oh yeah. Okay. But there were a few kind of like funny things that happened. Like, I know a lot of people have like a cage stage with Calvinism where they like find out about it. And I think you guys have talked about the cage stage. 
I am the cage stage king, no doubt. So <laughs> I I had to rewrite Jesus Loves Me to a right, uh, more right. appropriate yeah. uh, Calvinist version. <laughs> the cage yeah. stage. We we hope to cover uh, much more about the cage stage at some point. We haven't we haven't quite gotten into that, but we have we have big plans on the cage stage. Okay. I, so what's weird is I never had a cage stage. Like. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it's a male female difference. Like, I, I don't know. But uh, I just like, when I first started going, they were like, hey, uh, you know, the Bible talks about predestination. And honestly, I was so like, just like blown away by, I don't know, Christian. And you're just like, like, I just want to know everything that I was just like, yeah, sound, sounds right to me. Good. Yeah, of course. Yep. Right. It was just very natural and organic instead of something that was maybe a sharp dichotomy from something that you had been taught before. Yeah. And actually I'll, I'll tease my, my husband, um, for a second on our second date, which was like a few months after I became a Christian. Um, he was like, so what do you, what do you think about predestination? <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't know, like it, sounds sounds good to me like and i i tease him about that because i'm like it's like you were feeling feeling it out making sure i was a calvinist before <laughs> before we go any further. nice he, he most certainly was my wife <laughs> she was asked about predestination before we ever dated so i was couldn't, couldn't even risk it yeah <laughs> it was so dangerous uh, um yeah no that's and, and it kind of makes sense, especially there in California, you know, in a church, probably very influenced by MacArthur, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think you guys asked, how did I, I, I guess, become acquainted with young, restless and reformed? Um, I actually didn't know the term reformed. Um, I remember someone would come into our Starbucks a lot and talk to the guys about theology and stuff. And, you know, my husband said to me, oh, he's not reformed. And I was like, what does reform mean? And he's like, that's what we are. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I I sound so clueless. I really do. But I honestly just did not have a good foundation for understanding anything about theology. And I think the church that we were in, which was a wonderful church, kind of de-emphasized studying theology um especially in our, our women's group like it, it just wasn't something that was super important there was an emphasis on we just need scripture and there was a really heavy emphasis on you know biblical inerrancy and really great like solid teachings um but i i mean it was probably four or five years in where i remember having a conversation with someone and they explained tulip and it was like, yeah, like it was, it was putting definitions and words to things that I already knew and had heard yeah. like in the preaching and stuff, but I didn't have like the categories. And so I feel like my exposure to YRR was kind of like on the periphery more. Like I, you know, we read John Piper books. We, you know, MacArthur, who I, I guess was YRR. Like I, you know, we were pretty exposed to him, but I wasn't like, like my husband has funny stories about going to Mark Driscoll conferences and, and hearing your, your guys's episodes about Mark Driscoll 
I was like, yeah, it makes sense why the, the appeal to women was just not there. <laughs> like right. he, he had a certain audience and it was not me. <laughs> right. And, and even if you ask my wife, I don't know about who, who was obviously, I guess she was thrust into these circles potentially by me, right? The thing that she found attractive about him wasn't him, but the times where his wife spoke, right? So it was where, when she presented a, you know, at least, at least she gave, right. There's an idea of feminine, uh, femininity fits into Christianity, right. When she's speaking, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas he probably doesn't do that. And I think what's interesting about your story is one, it's, it's different because you just came in and you were becoming a Christian, right? So whereas Michael and I uh, often describe it as it felt like taking the red pill, you know, all these new things for you, you were very naturally learning these things. And two, as we've talked to um, Brad Vermerlin, the sociologist who studied the movement, he often said there are, there were many people I spoke to at the conferences and at these churches that if you'd said, Hey, you're reformed, you're part of the YRR, they would have said, what are you talking about? What is right. That that was very common in these uh, circles as well. Yeah, totally. And I think what really drew me though, besides just like I became a Christian. And so I was like hungry for the word and for just like truth was the certainty of the certainty that comes with like, um, reformed or I guess Calvinism and we like, we understand what's true, like about scripture and growing up in a church, um, that's very, you know, wishy washy. And, um, that was really appealing to me, like understanding God's sovereignty. And I don't know, it, it was, it was really appealing to me. I think that was pretty common to have, uh, even just to have a, a group of, people that were teaching something with a kind of conviction where they were like, this is the truth. It's not like one of the options for the truth. This is the truth. And I do think that that was attractive to a lot of us. I think that was one of the things that, that spurred a lot of us on to uh, follow more and read more and, and study more. Yeah, definitely. You know, so we've got to ask, cause we ask everyone this question. It sounds like your husband would have answers. Is there a particularly maybe new Calvinist cringe thing you're willing to cop to? I guess I've copped to like three on this podcast <laughs> already. So I actually thought, you know, I was thinking about this question and I do have one, but yeah, my husband, he, his would probably be going to the Mark Driscoll conference where it was about Song of Solomon. That Classic. would probably be his. Old move, um, yep. Yeah. What was it? it was like it was like peasant princess series or something like that i yeah. don't know and he, he, it's just funny because he didn't even have a girlfriend at the time or anything. so he's just he went with all his single like friends and they went so it's just funny like what were you doing there <laughs> <laughs> um i think it, when i've looked back um my cringe moment wasn't so much associated with any of the common YRR teachers, but it was more, um, trying to think of the best words to explain this because there was like this sense of like, we understand we have the corner on truth. And there was this real focus on bearing fruit 
and doing like the test that's in first John one, that's what, it, that's what they would talk about it as the test. We were really quick to label people as saved, not saved. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we, we would have people come into our college group, which was really great. It was a great group, but you know, they would come in, they would be really excited. They'd stick around for six months and then, you know, they'd, they'd be gone. They'd be kind of living like very worldly and we'd go, Oh, I guess they were never a Christian. And looking back, like now as a reform person, I've been in the reform church for five years and I just would not say that like just the sureness we had about Mm. other people's position with the Lord. Oh, it just, it's more than cringe. It makes me like, Ooh, like, I can't believe we used to talk like that. And we would have conversations about people even like, oh yeah, yeah. They're not a Christian, you know, like, cause we just knew, you know, we were 22 and we were like, (laughs) like had really good understanding of who's saved and who's not as if it's our job to determine that. And that just like really makes me cringe to this Mm. day. I do think that can, certainly for me, it came along and with this, when you become aware of election, right? When you become aware of this kind of certainty, can you explain um, to our listeners who may not be aware why a reformed theology, like you would find in the OPC, why, why you would be like, well, we don't talk that way anymore. Cause that might be even foreign to some people. Yeah. I think, I think the longer I've been reformed, the less, um, in some ways there's more mystery and the less I think I'm the authority on anything, like, especially like I look to, you know, I'm a Presbyterian and I know like Presbyterians do their thing in walking people through that, you know, if, if people unfortunately are like excommunicated, it's a really long process. And I also think like, so I, I guess I have a high trust in like the church, you know, the courts and them making very heavy determinations about people and seeing that done on a few occasions, you know, and seeing like the pain in a pastor's voice as he, I don't know. I just realized it's a much, it's a much bigger thing than just me kind of going, Oh yeah, they, you know, I heard they went to a party. Like, like it's, it's really not for me to say, you know, and I don't know if that's the best explanation for why being reformed or if it's just a maturity, like as a Christian and seeing, seeing people now that I've seen this happen a few times, I just realize how heavy and how, how big it is, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So many of us were so glib and just like quick about it and frivolous in our you know, conversation like, oh yeah, of course they are not a Christian or they are. And, and as if it was like, just something you could talk about, you know, over a drink or something like that. Yeah. Of course they're not a Christian. They don't want to come to our college ministry pizza parties anymore. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, I I do think that does bring up this, this doctrine that the church fought about and discussed heavily is this, which is what you were talking about, Ashley, the doctrine of the keys to the kingdom, right? How big a deal that is, that how seriously it sounds like your pastor. And I think 
pastors of, yeah, we'll just say classical Protestantism, take the idea that the sins you forgive are forgiven and, and the sins, right. That when you, if you shut the kingdom, it will be shut, right. You bind and you loose. And that, that is a, that is a weighty responsibility and is probably not something, you know, for, um, even, even growing like, uh, in your college ministry or in mine growing young Christians to trifle with. Yeah. I also think the teaching in the Reformed Church on sanctification is so much richer and you realize like it's not like you you flip a switch and you're a Christian and your life looks pretty good. You know, it's it's a lifelong process that has a lot of stops and stalls and you know, on a given day your life may not look like it's, it's just a long process. Yeah. It's a long process. And I've been grateful to learn more about sanctification being in the reformed church. Yeah, I wonder if part of it too is uh, I've often thought connected to just a kind of misunderstanding of the visible versus invisible church distinction a little bit, and maybe assuming that we can judge one from the other. Right. So like we can, you know, what, what I often think is we've been given the visible church, right? That's what we've been given to deal with. Um, Just because for instance, somebody's excommunicated from the visible church, it doesn't mean that they are not saved. It might mean that it a lot of times seems to mean that, you know, from what we can tell, but ultimately uh, that is going to be up to the Lord himself. Um, But uh, that doesn't mean uh, that, you know, we can just uh, then, go ahead and judge uh, who's in and out uh, simply based on what we can see. There has to be a lot more nuance in a sense in it and leaving the secret things to the Lord. There are things that he has revealed to us. There are certain duties that he's required of us in the church, a certain way that we're supposed to act toward people uh, based on how they act and based on, you know, uh, how, how they treat the church and, and whatnot. But that's not uh, like the end of the matter. That doesn't mean that mm-hmm. we're the, the ultimate judge. It means that we have a kind of, of uh, a peripheral or like here and now kind of judgment that we get to make uh, that the church makes. But it's not something that, you know, is, you know, 100% going to mean this is the same as the spiritual it's kingdom. Because it's ministerial and fallible, right? That's the right. church only gets to declare what Jesus has given them the authority to declare in his word. And it has failed. Um, Ashley, you, um, when you talk about having joined the OPC, you talk about then becoming reformed, which is, <laughs> which is of course, uh, an interesting, uh, way to talk about it. What, what, do, what do you mean by becoming reformed? Yeah. So, so first let me tell you, we, so we were at the EB3 church. We ended up moving to central California and our friends there were like, Hey, come to our church. And it was an OPC. Hmm. And so we didn't know anything. We didn't know what the OPC was. We didn't know what a Presbyterian is. Never heard of it, but we trusted our friends and we're like, okay, we'll check it out. And the first Sunday we were there, um, they baptized a baby. We were like, uh, what did you, <laughs> what are you guys doing? They baptized a baby there, we were using hymnals. Um, there was, we went to Sunday school and they used a confession that was really off-putting to me because why aren't we using the Bible? 
Um, <laughs> and it was really weird. I was like, why are we standing up and sitting down so much? Like, you know, like there's a lot of that. Um, and so <laughs> I, I will say that we, I sometimes joke that we became Presbyterians on accident because we were not trying to. We weren't like, I, I think in your guys' stories, you kind of started to look into it and were eventually persuaded by it, right? Oh, yes. More that was the case for me anyway, yeah. I, I in college, the, the church that was partnered with the college ministry apart was a part of, was a reformed church. And the first week I went, they also baptized a baby. And I went and asked the pastor at lunch the next week that I thought I was going to a Christian church and was really confused mm -hmm. about what was wrong. So I just, I, I just slay Michael with how certain I was. I love it so much. At, at 19, <laughs> with everything I said. Yeah. So I can, I can definitely re relate to that, but honestly, we really trusted our friends who, who kind of invited us to that church on the central coast of California. There's not as many options, um, as there is in, in Southern California. Um, so we just were like, we'll stick around, you know, we'll ask questions. And, uh, we took a long time to become members because we just, you know, we're really unsure about some things, um, but we just kept going and, you know, kept asking, like, why do you guys use a confession? Like I, that one really tripped me up for some reason. Like, I was just like, I don't know why you're not using just the Bible in Sunday school. Yeah. And what they were doing at the time was week by week going through another section of the Westminster confession. And they would sometimes, because there'd be so many questions, they would spend four or five weeks in one chapter. Cause they'd be like, Oh, we, we have more to go over here. And it was really cool. Like, you know, kind of like hearing the congregation, like, I don't really understand that. Um, but yeah, we, we kept asking questions. Um, and I think probably, you know, within eight months we became members. Um, although we told them when we became members, we're still not sure about infant baptism. We didn't have any kids at the time. So didn't, practically have any implications and they're like that's okay and they they kind of knew like we'll just keep talking about it and uh um and then once once the switch flipped and once I really started to understand covenant theology mm. it was like it was almost like the experience I had when I was 20 and was like hey how come no one ever told me about predestination it was like that, where I was like, I want to understand this. I want to understand the confession. I want to understand how you get infant baptism, how you, and that's when I really, for the first time in my life, started studying theology on my own and became just really interested. So, and so you associate becoming reformed, which I think is yeah, obviously a very accurate understanding of it with when you began to embrace and consider, I guess, the ramifications of covenant theology on. Yes. Yeah. Covenant theology. Um, I remember our pastor gave me a short book because I had a lot of questions about worship. Like, why do you guys do this, that? And it was by I think Terry Johnson, um, just called Reform Worship. It's like probably a hundred pages. And I read that and like, 
the regulative principle of worship, I was like, obviously, like, of course, God should dictate how we, I mean, it was just a whole, a whole new world to us, you know? Is there, is there a, a short resource on covenant theology like that, that you found helpful at that time? Yeah. Yeah. Actually the, the second OPC we were at, when we moved again, we did, um, sacred bond. I think Zachiel wrote it. You guys could fact check me. Let me double check you quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that one was really helpful in understanding the covenants. Um, but it was pretty short. Yeah, yeah. it's not, and it's yeah. not super academic. It, it was very approachable. Um, but yeah, that one was really helpful. Yeah, Sacred Bond, Michael Brown and Zach Keel uh, together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you you have hit on, right, when Michael and I use the term reformed, we, you're using it the same way we, we think is most helpful to use it, right? It refers to ch- churches that practice the regulative principle of worship, that believe the Bible is organized by covenant theology, and then believe right, you know, in what we might call the doctrines of grace or things that that I think yeah. is what is what I've come to understand the term to mean. And, and obviously that was different than the, um, you know, the first, the free church you were in when your mm-hmm. husband said this person isn't reformed and is, <laughs> uh, yeah, is, is different. So what, what are the biggest differences that you now you've studied? You, you have, I mean, obviously you've been in an OPC church for probably longer than you were part of the the first yeah, I think church. it's been about five years okay. that we've been members. Um, you know, just as as a woman, there's a lot of differences. Uh, I know you guys haven't had any any females sure. on, so I should probably point those out. Please do. Um, one thing that I was amazed by um, was how well read and well versed in Reformed theology um, the women of the church were, mm. and so I think I was used to like not used to that. Like I, I was used to, um, women's things being a little more fluffy, you know, like I remember doing like a Beth Moore study and, you know, just kind of, kind of fluffy, um, not really, um, deep, definitely not into theology. It was always practical, you know, how to mm-hmm. be a biblical woman, how to, um, you know, you know, all, all those things. And not that those things aren't helpful and worthy of being talked about, but there was never like, hey, as a woman, you should know theology. And that does inform your life and those practical questions. And so that was a huge change because, I mean, the women who I've met in the OPC are just amazing and just brilliant. You know, they they really care about God's word and they really care about understanding who God says he is and how that applies to our lives. And so that was really, really cool. Mm. Um, that is think. encouraging. That is great. Yeah. That is yeah. Really encouraging. Yeah. Shout out to, to all my, all my female friends um, in the OPC. Um, I'm, tr- I'm trying to because think of other difference. There, there's a lot, yeah. there's a yeah. lot I could go as, to. As you think, yeah, I'll just reflect on that for a second. Right. Oh, I'm, I think that, yeah, I, I think my, 
my wife has had, you know, similar frustrations in, in the past. And it's especially, it's, again, it's, you know, there's, there's ways where this might be just complementarianism gone awry, but what's frustrating about it, what is theology about, right? What is theology for? Theology is primarily not to get right answers or debate, which, you know, maybe we'd consider that more masculine, that kind of debating, arguing, fighting. It's, it's not for that. It's for communion with God. And, and it is an indictment on any ministry, women or youth or whatever, that if, if that is not a, at least a mainstay, a ma- <laughs> you know, that's what, what, that is the best thing, right? God in his, as he's revealed himself to us. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that's an, I'd say that would, that's very, that alone for, for women, huge reason to look to those kinds of churches, churches that will take them seriously as people and let, you know, welcome. You can learn the Westminster confession with everybody else and ask your, your questions. Yeah. And, and, and that kind of reminds me of a, another difference where a lot of stuff is not segregated by, I mean, there's definitely like at my current church, we have women's Bible study, but there's a lot that's just everybody, you know? And that's kind of nice. Like I remember at that first OPC we were at, um, someone had the idea of let's go through Louis Burkhoff's, am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. Louis Burkhoff's systematic theology. And so we, we met on a Sunday afternoon at one of the church members' houses. And there was like teenagers there. There was like the elderly woman. There was us 20 somethings you know, we're just talking about what his systematic says about various things. And that was really cool because at our previous church, things were very segregated. You know, we were pretty closely involved with the college group, which was really great, but we didn't have a lot of connection with anyone younger than us, anyone older than us. Like it was, and, and, and I, what I see in the OPCs we've been in is um, there's a lot more togetherness, you know, kids yeah. and adults and teenagers and elderly, um, like we're, we're all the church. And I think part of it is too, just the size of our churches is sure. um, <laughs> quite a bit smaller, um, yes. but yeah. Uh, I find, I find that refreshing as well. I, we've, we've found that very much. I mean, we're, I pastor a church where, you know, most families want to be together anyway. Like they want their, you know, they want their kids to be with them if they're in Sunday school or if they're in a life group. But I have found we have a, I mean, very broad and we have some, like you said, I mean, we have, we have some, you know, ministries kind of designated. There's a, there is a kind of, they do a, a women's retreat every year and there's, you know, a, a men's Bible study that meets and there is a youth group but the vast majority of what we do is done more or less all together, or at least everybody is welcome uh, in some way or another. And even a lot of the like youth stuff that we do, it's not as much like done by age, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's more like ability. Hey, if you think your child, you know, could, could do fine in this environment, go ahead and send them, you know, it's, it's really up to you. And so, so that's great to hear. Yeah. I think there's a lot more confidence, you know, like instead of saying, Oh, my kid needs to go to like kids church or, you know, you're, you're saying, I think they can understand a lot more than 
than what we think, you know, and like confidence in that. And I feel like what you see is like kids who, I mean, goodness gracious, we have kids in our church who know like 150 catechism questions. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. So Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, Ashley, we want to thank you for your time, but before we go, I guess if we've kind of moved all over, but as you look back, if you were going to review the YRR on Amazon, what, what would your review say? How many stars would you give it? What would your, what would your review say? The movement as a whole? Yeah, just, yeah, or. <laughs> Put me on the spot. Sorry. <laughs> you know, it's hard because there's so many things about it that actually were really good. Yeah. And then there are things that were not so great. Um, can I go like 3.5 stars? Am I Absolutely. allowed? No. Oh, I, I can do so. 3.5 stars. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. I think you can on Amazon. So that we're playing by Jeff Bezos' rules. So 3.5 <laughs> okay. is, is, is allowed. I mean, and I it, think a, I don't know like percentages, but a lot of us were funneled into like confessional churches. So I think it was like a bridge in a way. Yeah. So that that's really positive so i'll I'll go positive yeah 3.5 stars yeah because it was a good introduction to yeah it really was um and i think that that is in many ways the the biggest reason michael and i together are thankful for it as well because it functioned that way for us yeah so well thanks for coming on we will uh uh, call it a day here this restless summer day or uh, or we might just call it a normal day in california all the time so yeah thanks for having me guys the opc might be small but it is well represented on restless thanks ashley for coming on rate and review the show i'll let you get back to your restless summer later My, my wife just started our bread maker. And so that if you heard that in the background, that was. Uh... <laughs> I didn't hear it. Okay.